Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future and this recap episode of our first series with Dr. Sarah Wood. Sarah was an academic in American studies before taking on the startup world, which she was ultimately very successful in with the video sharing platform Unruly. Listening back to this episode, I was struck by how much it summarized what so many of the entrepreneurs would go on to say on the show. In terms of skills, we are massively short of software engineers, data scientists, marketing and operations. That's partly why we've expanded Jimmy's Jobs now to encompass all types of different jobs and not just those in the startup world. But they are the jobs that are constantly in demand and constantly brought up by the entrepreneurs that I speak to every day that are trying to grow their businesses. Sarah's story is particularly personal in this highlights clip where she talks about what led her to start Unruly. She also talks about Technation. Now, Technation has had a complicated few months, to put it mildly, as it's a government body that relied on funding. So some of that has been now given to Barclays and the Eagle Labs, and Brent Hoberman's Founders Forum has taken over the Technation brand. So it will be fascinating to see what happens with that. I've left the clips in because Sarah talks about what they're seeing in terms of the importance of fintech, AI, and net zero being growing sectors. With everything that's happened over the last few months, I just thought it was so prescient to hear that from Sarah. You could start by explaining how an academic in American studies led to you founding a global video advertising marketplace and explain to us a little bit about what Unruly does. So the launch of the business was very personal. And I think that's often the case with founders. And it's often not a straight path to setting up a business. There's the zigging and zagging. So yes, I was an academic at Sussex, but I was struggling with life-work balance. I was living in Hackney with two kids, but then commuting to Sussex, just outside of Brighton, staying there during the week. And every week I broke my heart to leave my kids and saying goodbye to Ezra on a Tuesday morning at nursery and then knowing I wasn't going to see him again until later on in the week just took a real toll mentally. It just felt as though it wasn't working with a family life. But I don't know how quickly I would have changed that if it hadn't been for the 7-7 terrorist attack. And that took place in July 2005. I should have been at King's Cross when it was kicking off. But as usual, I was running late, late dropping the kids off for school. I hadn't got that far on my journey and ended up just being evacuated from a tube station. And seeing what happened there just really made me rethink what my priorities were and what I wanted. If this was my last day, what would I want to be doing? So that is really what brought me to handing my resignation at Sussex. And then at the same time, my co-founder, who was also my husband, Scott, was finishing up at his previous job, which was a tech startup. And we decided to do something together, something that combined the family with business. So the dot-com crash of 2000 was receding from memory. This is too, late 2005, early 2006. It was opening up with blogs, with recommendation engines, early social networks, with sublet desks in the Truman Brewery on Brick Lane. And we just started coming up with ideas. I've got to be honest, most of them didn't work. Some were ahead of their time, some were just down wrong. (laughs) But it was the the fun of the discoveries that kept us going. And you learn a lot from those mistakes. So our first offering was called eatmyhamster.com. It was a comedy website where people could submit links to jokes and videos and images. And we failed miserably to build a community. But what we did learn from that was that video was the medium that people were really enjoying. So from that, we decided to build our video charts, so to track videos and see which videos were getting the most traction and being shared the most online. And we were the first company to do that. In fact, I remember 
Google calling us late in 2006 and asking why there were no Google videos in our chart. And we said, everybody is there watching YouTube videos. And they were like, oh, YouTube. And then, of course, a few weeks later, more YouTube. <laughs> we like to think we're part of their due diligence. <laughs> and then we started with video data analytics. How do we turn this into a business? What we saw was lots of brands were trying to create videos that would work online. And we built a marketplace. So on the one side, we had publishers who would offer their websites. And the other had brands who would have videos. And then the brands would pop their videos onto the platform and the publishers would be able to pick them up and make money every time somebody watched them. And at the time, this was quite pioneering because before this, it was just spreadsheets. And then we built it and scaled it into global advertising marketplace, working with over 90% of top brands, working with some fantastic publishers. But of course, the business continued to evolve. And as Google entered the field and Facebook entered the field and were very aggressively competitive, we were constantly needing to iterate and evolve the business. Yes, they wanted their video to be shared and to be shared in great environments but they also wanted to understand why people were interacting with video. What was it about their video that was successful and really had that data to be able to help them? What an um, amazing story and how you started that as well probably has a lot of similarities in terms of a period of shock that led to reflection in terms about what people are doing with their life. I'm sure rings true for a lot of people in 2020 over the course of the pandemic. So perhaps you can share what you're up to now. For me, having stepped down from one really, it's been a moment to pause and pause in a really positive way. I've had the time to do some of the things that I've been longing to do for years and haven't had the time to do. So judging at the Women's Fight the Fiction was enormous fun, really inspiring. Taking the time to mentor earlier stage founders, especially female founders who are just setting up their businesses. That's been fantastic. And I sit on the board of Tech Nation. And this is a real passion for me because I'm a huge believer in the importance of the UK tech ecosystem and how it can drive forward our economy and provide quality jobs. So it's fabulous being able to see some of the next generation of tech businesses, which are scaling, looking at their challenges and seeing what technology can do to help. And what sectors do you particularly see growing in that role through Tech Nation? Because I know there are a number of different programs that it does in fintech and AI. So yes, fintech is huge. AI is huge. But this year we've launched Net Zero for the first time. And that's really exciting because there are a lot of clean tech businesses coming through. Also a lot of health startups. And actually the best place to go for anyone who's keen to see what the future of the UK economy looks like is probably to look at the latest cohort of upscale companies. So upscale six a bunch of fantastic companies such as Florence, for example, which is about more flexible caregiving, or you've got um, Olio, which is food sharing app. Then there are even earlier stage companies revolutionizing industries such as the writing of wills. So Farewell is one of my favorite companies on the cohort. It's making it a lot cheaper, more affordable and easier for people to write their first will. So wherever you look, you can see opportunity and you can see entrepreneurs making the most of it and moving quick. Yeah, I should say certainly remember the name Florence as that's the name of my uh, my baby daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of challenges do you see those companies having when it comes to hiring and recruiting? So those that are on those programs tend to have got a bit of traction, possibly employing 15 to 20 people and so on. What skills are they most requiring at that point? So there are some very specific skills such as software engineers, always highly in demand, increasingly data analysts, 
But then you have more general skills and general roles that are also needed. So whether it's legal counsel, accountant, finance manager, marketing specialist, and actually marketing seems to be a key area where often companies that are scaling feel the pain and feel the need to bring in a specialist because you can scale so far, you can certainly get to product market fit, launch a product. But if you want to scale that 10x, 100x, and especially if you want to move into different markets, then really understanding the numbers, the maths, and also the emotions that lie behind people's purchasing behaviors. So yeah, marketing, absolutely key. And operations generally, operations managers, COOs, I'm constantly getting pinged on WhatsApp groups by people saying, do you know a great COO? Someone who can take this business and help to scale it. With your background as a university lecturer, are there any courses, testers that you would particularly recommend for people to try those? There is no shortage of online tools that you can use. So Google searching is the first tool of any software engineer to look for your specific area. So you're going to find countless TED Talks to inspire you. You're going to find countless YouTube tutorials and then online courses such as the Digital Business Academy, also run by Tech Nation. But it really depends on the sector. So if you're interested in video gaming, that's very different from being interested in sports science and maybe data analysis as it relates to footballers. There are many different ways of approaching it, but you will find what you need online if you search for it and if you talk to people. And that's where I think networking has become more important than ever before. What I would mention, actually, Jimmy, is the really exciting new institution that's opening next year. It's called the London Interdisciplinary LIS. It's designed to teach students not a specific subject like history or maths, but to cut across the curriculum and provide training that is both arts-based and science-based and primarily focused on specific big topics such as climate change. The idea there being that what we really need to do is to learn to move out of our silos and to cut across those silos and see the bigger picture. And traditional university education hasn't done that. And that is a key theme that we've seen is that sort of melody of skills, multidisciplinary, all the different kind of terms that you can have, but summing up to be that generalist and being able to see different things across all of the businesses is a real theme that we've picked up on. In your book, you talked about the app Prime that was particularly helpful in terms of readying people for the future of work. Can you talk to us a bit more about that? Yeah, so Prime was useful for my marketing team a few years ago who were just getting into digital marketing. And it's just a great little app that gets you started with thinking about how to do digital marketing, how to think about the different social platforms, how to think about a branding strategy. And it was delivered in small bite-sized pieces. My suspicion is there will be lots of other new tools that have come up since then that people are using. But I think that is the kind of learning that people really respond to, something that is in their pocket and that they can look at and interact interact with when it suits. Being able to fit learning into our work life and to do that in a flexible way is really important. Not everybody has the luxury or the privilege to be able to sit at home quietly, spend days thinking about what they want to do next. (laughs) Yeah, you and I are quite lucky in that, I would say. Yeah. You talk in the book, Stepping Up, about, and you referenced it there in terms of finding your clan. So behind every successful leader is a network of supporters and confidence. And it's one of the most important investments you can make is cultivating your network. How do people a bit earlier on in their career, perhaps, but although it's relevant for all stages in this online world that we now find ourselves in, how can people go about building their network? 
It is hugely important at every stage of your career and it can be hard starting out. It can be very daunting. Although interestingly, if you're quite introverted, it remains daunting. The key thing to remember is to choose conversations that interest you. This has certainly worked for me and I get very tongue-tied at events and would get quite nervous about them. But I'd always think, no, I'm going to learn something and it's going to be super interesting and I'm going to really enjoy it. And if anything else comes from it, fantastic. But if not, it doesn't matter. It takes time to cultivate expertise. It takes time to cultivate a network. So you want to make sure it's something that you're really passionate about. Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the opportunities in this time is that in a way, networking has almost become easier. Like you say, there's almost been this kind of huge democratization of events. Lots of events are now free to attend. And I know that Technation, for example, is putting on a huge amount of things where you can go and attend, make some contacts, have some learning and so forth. I think digital in general opened up the playing field when it came to networking. Listening sometimes is a very undervalued skill at events. Just soak it in, listen to what people have got to say. Take those small steps to begin with. Find the conversations that you're interested in and then think about how you can bring value to the event. And sometimes that's by asking questions. And we all know that feeling of giving a talk, hoping desperately that some questions are going to come in. And you get really grateful when you see people are interacting and engaging and asking questions. So that's a great way of interacting. Live tweeting, if you're part of a Zoom event and being able to amplify it on different social platforms is often really appreciated by events organisers or writing a blog post about something that really struck a chord with you and you've experienced personally. And one of the questions I really wanted to ask you was about LinkedIn, which sometimes when it comes to social media, I feel is a little bit forgotten displaying what you're up to and so on. You know, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter tend to dominate. But I saw on LinkedIn that you've now got almost 100,000 followers. How did you go about building that following on there? Did you set out particularly to do that or was it just something that happened organically? It very much happened organically and over a long period of time in the same way that Unruly was growing. And I guess it went hand in hand with the business and, and LinkedIn was a very natural place to share those ideas because it's where people don't just go to promote themselves, but they go to learn and they go to learn about their area and their sector and what's new and what's coming around the corner. I think it's a really good place to find your clan, to find your online clan, to find people who will champion you and who will reshare, repost your messages and your content, find people who will listen and give feedback, and then find people who are potentially looking for a role that you might want to work with at your next startup or in your next job. The most popular post ever was a list of the top female entrepreneurs of 2018. And these were women that I could see were building fantastic businesses. And I just wanted to give them a shout out. And LinkedIn's a great place to do that. And if you can include lots of people in that post, then they're really keen to talk about the post and share the post as well. So it becomes a real virtuous cycle. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've come a long way since our first episode when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship, and the future of work, or some of our more lighthearted takes on TikTok. And of course, our best moments are on YouTube. To find all our socials and best content links, click on the links in the show notes below.